eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. I, I had come just come off of a near-death experience, and I, I couldn't really explain everything that had happened to me. I talk about it in my book. I saw some things when I passed. I believe I had died. I'm not, you know, I, I wasn't hooked up to an EKG or anything, but I, like, left my body. And, you know, the doctors and stuff, they're like, yeah, we've heard some things, but we don't really know what to tell you. Medically speaking, you might have died. But and it, it, it freaked me out, you know, and so I definitely wanted to stop. Life is a journey, and most of it is spent in the in-between, in the middle places. But every once in a while, you find yourself on the other side of something. These are the stories we are telling here. We believe that stories change the world, and we hope that when you hear stories of lives changed, obstacles overcome, lives broken, lives mended, and hope found, you'll actually see yourself in their stories. Now more than ever, we need each other and we need each other's stories. This is On The Other Side. Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of On The Other Side. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Ivey. And I'm one of your hosts, Jamie Ivey. And today we sat down with Nicholas Bush and we talked to him about being on the other side of addiction. Nick wrote a book called One by One, A Memoir of Loss and Love in the Shadows of Opioid America. Listen, this is a topic that I don't think we talk about enough. There's a startling reality that so many Americans are addicted to drugs. And Nick's story is one of so many people that have walked through something like this. And we're so thankful to get to talk to him about his addiction and how he's walked to the other side of being on that addiction. Yeah, what you're going to hear is Nick tell us about that journey, the loss he's had, the road he's had to walk. But more importantly, we're going to hear what it's like to be on the other side of that and what he is doing now to help people that have been in his same shoes before. Listen, you might be listening and going, wow, this is me. I need some help. Or you might listen and go, this is not something at all that I struggle with. But I think for every person listening, there's something really helpful because every single one of us have somebody in our lives, whether you realize it or not that are struggling with addiction. So this is Nick Bush's story of On the Other Side of Addiction. Hey everybody, we're really excited about today's episode of On the Other Side, and we're talking to Nicholas Bush, who has uh, written a book called One by One, A Memoir of Loss and Love in the Shadows of Opioid America. Nicholas, we're we're really thankful, man, that you would come uh, today and share your story with us. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Just to kind of start, tell us how long you have been sober. I would say it's going on about 10 years. Eight, I think it, I think it is actually about eight years now, seven, eight years. 
Congrats. That's, That's amazing. amazing, bro. Yeah, amazing. I'm grateful. Why don't you set the stage for us, just uh, maybe a little bit of your journey of, of becoming an addict and, and what that looked like kind of in the early stages for you? Well, I'll tell you what, I fell so deep just to start off. I honestly believed, even after I started to get on the road to sobriety, that I would never actually be free from it. I thought I would always struggle mm-hmm. with, at least mentally, being addicted and just almost like being a dry drunk. You know, I, I started off with marijuana, as a lot of people do, especially now it's like mm-hmm. legal in a lot of places, yeah. becoming more and more legal. Yeah, no, just up in Wisconsin, where I'm from, alcoholism is kind of a big thing. And so I started drinking and just partying at a young age, like 13, 14. And mm-hmm. honestly, though, when as soon as I tried marijuana, I knew that it was kind of like it was going to be a struggle for me that I was a little bit different from everybody else well most other people anyway just how it took took hold of me like it's like all I wanted to do I was just immediately just mentally like that's all I wanted to do and um, and it just it just really filled a void like it, it relieved it relieved just almost like this pressure that I knew that I didn't know was there All I knew is I was in a lot of like subconscious pain, I guess, you know, from trauma and just like abuse. I had a a tough family life and I just kind of buried that, you know. And so, Mm. yeah, marijuana got me off and running and it it got pretty serious going into, let's see, 14 through high school. At, At the end of high school, I started to get into a lot of trouble going in and out of jail. I think I've been to jail like seven times for for various things like related to my addiction stealing and just possession and and stuff like that and so i tried oxycontin for the first time in college and Mm. and so you know it just became it just it just kind of snowballed from there really really quick like i ended up shooting oxycontin into my hands and uh, progressed into uh heroin use because you know prescription medication can be kind of tricky to locate you know, it takes a doctor, yeah. it takes somebody with a real prescription and all that stuff. So the source kind of became tough to get. And so, you know, heroin, it was kind of, it freaked me out how easy heroin was to get, you know, people who just do heroin, mm. people who do heroin, it's like they just do heroin. Like that's their lifestyle. You know, you hear the same mm. thing about people who like are involved with meth and, and harder drugs. It really does. It's kind of insane actually how it just takes you over and that becomes uh, what you live mm. for, you know? And my brother and sister to heroin addiction. And I think they, str- mm. they struggle with the same things I did, you know, just having, having drugs just sort of fill a void that they didn't really know was there until it was too late, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and yeah. yeah, it's all in the book. It's kind of a, a wild roller coaster story. Like I said, I didn't think I would ever get free from it. I was in so deep. Mm. I was involved with, you yeah. know, running around, just a lot of a lot of criminal activity that I describe in pretty good detail in the book, and just involved with mm-hmm. a pretty bad crowd. And and uh, yeah, so now today, I'm totally free from it. And it's like that that doesn't make logical sense, so you know. And it's like how how could this happen? And you know, it's crazy. People. <laughs> People I grew up with, they tell me, and they're like, you know, that's awesome that you're sober and everything, but what kills me is you're, like, actually a good dude. You're, like, a good person. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, That's good. That's good. That's the best compliment ever. So, yeah. Nick, I want you to talk a little bit about finding that freedom and what played a part of that. But I do want to ask you, how old were you and were you using heroin when you lost your siblings to heroin? So my sister died in 2011, June 16th, 2011. And I was 21 years old, and I was not using heroin. I was just starting to see 
close friends of mine getting into just harder prescription drugs and i had i'd heard mm-hmm. of pks you know painkillers opiates stuff like that and i had taken Vi- vicodin you know for injuries and things and it, it didn't it didn't mm-hmm. really put me over the moon or anything i just i was like that's kind of weak stuff you know and, yeah. and so after she died though it's kind of ironic how i reached out for the very thing that killed her to relieve my suffering uh, man wow and, and, uh, man. It, it, it might not make much sense to someone listening but uh, just any anything i could do i was in so much pain so much just just regret like i i never got to say goodbye and so whatever i could do to to ease the pain of losing her i did it and so that's mm. that's when i reached mm. out to some guys i knew that were doing it doing a lot of painkillers and i was like mm-hmm. you know they i was hanging out with them they actually offered me oxycontin i did it for the first time and i was that's that's when i kind of got off and running at uh, 21 yeah mm. and you lost your brother as well to a drug overdose is that right five years later yeah yeah wow man in you talking a little bit in your story do, do you think like becoming an addict is it like the people you're with the environment do you think it's like the people are prone genetically like what, what what is kind of your perspective on that you know honestly i don't know i've heard both sides i've seen people who feel like they're genetically predisposed to alcoholism back where i'm from like i said alcohol mm-hmm. is kind of a big deal and honestly, he, you know, this buddy of mine, we were in rehab together. He thought it, it ran in his family. And he's like, what can I do? I feel like, you know, like I just said, genetically, like you said, predis- predisposed at mm-hmm. a predisposition. And it's like in his DNA. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, something I'll have to struggle with. And so, you know, I've actually heard the same thing. I don't want to get into like race or anything like that. But with like Native Americans and like people up in like Alaska and stuff, I'm involved with missions mm-hmm. and they see a big problem with, you know, alcoholism and that people group. Yeah. And there's been studies mm-hmm. done and it's like, I mean, all they yeah. can really prove is the numbers, you know, what percentage of this group of people has it yeah. and versus others. Mm-hmm. And honestly, my, I think it can be passed down. My opinion is it can be passed down. I'm not sure if it's like, mm-hmm. like chemically mm-hmm. genetic though. And I think if mm-hmm. a people group or a group of people or whatever families are, are um, being oppressed and it's just kind of looked at as a way out, I think yeah. it can easily be handed down, you know, and, and the missions community that, that I'm a part of now, it can be almost like a generational, like they would call it, like mm-hmm. a generational yeah. sin or a generational curse. And so there mm-hmm. it might, may even be a spiritual component tied to it as well. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you do see that on, you know, um, in Native American communities, a lot of uh, them struggle with, with drug addiction and alcoholism. And so, and they have been an oppressed community within our country, I mean, for the entire time that other people have been here. And so you can see how that might happen. Yeah. I would like to talk about rehab for you. And I know sure. you went a handful of times. And so what made your last rehab stint different than any of the other ones? Well, let's see here. I was freaked out. Like I was my my first rehab stint, I was a joke to me. I didn't want to be there. I was forced to be there. A lot of the other people were in the same boat as I was and we just like I said, made a joke out of it. You know, it was yeah. it was like hmm. Was it well you, did you have to go by a judge or my, was it my was parents, it forced or voluntary? Yeah, I was looking at being okay. put on the street if I didn't go and that mm-hmm. eventually did happen um over and over and over again. But yeah, it was almost like my first experience was almost like being a class clown in, in study hall, you know, mm-hmm. just always acting yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, I've seen people that 
that I was in that rehab with that, that also were joking around, not taking it seriously. They didn't make it, you know, they passed away. And, wow. And, so, and, and some others that I was in with at that time, my first time had five DUIs after that, almost lost their life, almost went to prison. And it's just interesting to see like what that road took us down, mm. not taking things serious that we knew we should have been. But uh, my, my last yeah. experience though, was definitely different. I, I had come just come off of a near death experience and I, I couldn't really explain everything that had happened to me. I talk about it in my book. I saw some things when I passed. I believe I had died. I'm not, you know, I, I wasn't hooked up to wow. an EKG or anything, but I like left my body and, you know, the doctors and stuff, they're like, yeah, we've heard some things, but we don't really know what to tell you. Medically speaking, hmm. you might've died, but wow. and it, wow, it, it freaked man. me out, you know? And so I definitely wanted to yeah. stop. And so I think taking the higher power aspect a lot more seriously because that's what rehab and Alcoholics Anonymous and NA Narcotics Anonymous are mm -hmm. actually centered around is reaching out to a higher power. You know, you, there, are, there are 12 steps, yeah. you, you, you admit you have a yeah. problem and so forth, but reaching out to a higher power and giving it a shot, you know, they say, um, what's the worst that yeah. could happen if, if there yeah. is no higher power? Hey, at least you tried. But, you know, a lot of people who do get free, it's they, they, they give credit to God, you know, and their higher power or whatever. And so that's what I started to do my last experience in rehab. And that was a huge catalyst mm. for me getting free. Was the catalyst actually like experiencing that near death or death experience? Was that the thing? Or is there another moment, something that triggered like, I, I, I actually want to get help. I actually want to, to do Yeah. Rehab. So no, that it, it, it was messy getting, getting sober. Mm. It was really, really messy. And so yeah, mm -hmm. I definitely was in, in rehab and, and had that near-death experience, but it actually happened again. I relapsed. You know what I mean? Like so many people do. Mm -hmm. I think it's 80 yeah. or 90% yeah. of people who are really serious wow. about getting free or whatever, they, they relapse. And so it's just, are you, are you willing to fall on your face and get up and try again or not? Right. And that's, that's yeah. the key yeah. factor. So I really was. And honestly, what did it for me... Um, after relapsing and stuff, you know, I, I saw my sister who had passed away and I was so, so down and out, just ready to give up or whatever. She came to me in a vision while I was asleep one night and wow. it was, hmm. it was so powerful. It, it gives me goosebumps just talking about it. And uh, the stuff I had experienced the first time I had almost died, I, I really didn't know exactly what was going on. It didn't make much sense. But uh, when she came around the corner and walked up to me face to face and I looked in her, her eyes, there was like her eyes were like on fire and it was like almost scary to look at and she says love christ and then boom i wake up and i i had nothing to do with religion or god or i didn't care about any of that stuff i thought it was a joke and i i, I just was like on death's door myself and i was just like you know i can't deny what i just experienced i can't deny what i just heard mm -hmm. i can't deny what i just yeah, saw yeah. i need to actually check this out and so i took one step after the other in that direction and long story short, here I am today with like almost 10 Man, years of sobriety and active admissions. And I had written this book, you know, to share with the whole world that you really can find freedom, your loved ones, your, your friends, your family, yourself, whatever you're facing, mm -hmm. even severe heroin addiction. There's nothing strong enough to, mm -hmm. to keep you, mm -hmm. to keep you in bondage. You can find total freedom. You know what I mean? So. It's so good. It's just so good. for everyone. You know, I'm, I did not deserve it. Yeah. I was yeah. a criminal. I was a bad dude. You know, people were scared of me. 
the things I did, I'm not proud of, but I wanted to show people how real this is and how it's for everybody. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Nick, in your book, and I know you talk about this, you talk about making a case for changing our current systems that we have for charging and punishing drug addicts as criminals, and you are suggesting some reform to that. And I, a handful of years ago, volunteered in our county jail for three or four years, and that's when my eyes were really opened up to addiction. I, by the grace of God, have not struggled with an alcohol or drug addiction, but it made me see, well, this is bigger than I ever imagined, and this has a stronger hold on these ladies than I could have ever imagined. But yet so many of them were caught up in the system and constantly being taken back to county because of drugs. And so can you kind of walk us through why your reasoning is that we should have reform to this? Because I think to a lot of people, honestly, who don't understand addiction, it doesn't make sense. Well, you don't punish somebody who has cancer and expect that to heal the cancer. You know, it's a disease. And Mm -hmm. so being locked up, it is an extremely traumatic it is experience. It is scary. In a lot of cases, it's painful. You don't get much sleep. You're you're like at risk of being assaulted pretty much 24-7. You're treated like garbage. You're locked up like an animal. And really, it's punishment. And honestly, a lot of people who, who are in the system basically deserve it. You know, if you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing, like, you know, just, I don't know, like beating people up or shooting people or robbing people, whatever. Like, yeah, you deserve to be punished. You deserve the justice system that we have. And it is geared towards punishment. That's my point. And so you can't punish mm-hmm. disease out of a person. A lot of these people are so yeah, yeah. just completely enslaved, I think is the correct term, to their addiction. They're doing things mm-hmm. they don't even yeah. want to be doing. They're, they're stealing whatever it takes to facilitate their addiction to whatever drug is why they're there. And if we can help that, help the cause, yeah, help yeah. the root of their addiction, like getting them help really a social worker something yeah getting that getting that Absolutely. in some kind of and maybe we need to come up with something new some new programs some new halfway houses mm-hmm. where people of note are like investing in them showing them that hey society cares about you and we care about you you know who who knows what could happen if like mm-hmm. your your favorite like celebrity singer artist or something came and visited your rehab group or whatever that instead of going to jail you got people coming and showing you people of note or whatever that they care and they want you to get help and that you can be somebody people who have been through it there's a you know addiction doesn't uh discriminate there's people dying left and right mm-hmm. that yeah. are famous you know mm-hmm. nba yeah. players yep. influencers on social media rich, rich poor, for everybody old young and yep. so you'd be surprised 
what kind of people would be able to like make an impact in these people's lives and turn help turn them around. And basically, long story short, you just coming up with something besides punishing addicts, it's not working. It actually makes it, it makes mm-hmm. it worse. Um, traumatizing them over and over, keeping them just completely drugged through the mud. Mm-hmm. It's like putting them in a washing machine at the bottom of an ocean, just swirling them around, you know, on the rocks mm-hmm. at the bottom, mm-hmm. just drowning them and just stomping them. To, it's horrible. There's no way out. You're, it's just, it's the worst. Yeah. And so, yeah, locking people up is not going to change addiction. It's going to actually facilitate it. And honestly, I I don't think I talked enough about it in my book, how prison is kind of a business. And it's like, it's like you. I find myself asking, Man. Is that what they want? They want these people, you know what yep. I mean, to keep being incarcerated mm-hmm. and facilitating yep. this this corporate yep. entity of of prison. It's like that's yep. uh, it's sick. These are human beings, and they can get help. They can get better. Like like me, I've been to jail seven times. Yeah. Very very close to going to prison, and I'm talking like, I mean, I should have been in prison. It's a miracle I didn't go, mm-hmm. and literally, yeah. and so. Yeah, no, there's there's a better way for sure. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's good, man. In, in your book, you know, you talk about your wife, Amanda, and I'm I'm curious like what her role was in recovery for you. How did how did she walk with you through that whole process? Yeah, so she actually came at the exact right time. I had gotten sober, gotten into a missions community where I did meet her and ended up getting married. And at, right at that mm. time, my brother passed from a overdose. And that threw me for such a loop because I took him under my wing after our sister had died. And I was mm-hmm. like, buddy, Allison passed. You know, I went through it. You're going to make it. Nothing's going to happen to you. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to have you under my wing. And I'm going to I'm gonna take you by the hand. And I'm going to make sure you become somebody. And he did. He went to college. He graduated. He was looking at uh, graduate school in business at the University of Minnesota, and he was going to get into uh, the corporate side of commercial farming. Smart Mm -hmm. guy, you know, and real bright. And so his best friend actually passed away from an opioid overdose. I mean, you can't make this up. It's like ridiculous, the Mm -hmm. the amount of death that's out there. And so losing his close Mm -hmm. friend after losing our sister and seeing me go through all this stuff, it really just pushed him over the edge. And over the span of, of about a month, I lost touch with him. He went really hard into heroin and um, mm. he basically killed himself. And so yeah. g- having that happen and after just getting married and being in missions, I needed my wife there. I needed the support. I needed somebody to keep me in line, yeah. to yeah. keep me from going completely crazy. You know, I did take mm. off and just kind of go do my own thing. I didn't like relapse into hard drugs or anything like that. But, you know, you can imagine the level of grief and everything. But my mm. pregnant wife being there kept me in line, like I said, and she's always been there for me. And, you know, she's uh, just knowing that somebody who's there that uh, cares about you no matter what and will always love you and just wants to see the yeah. best happen for you. And it's just always willing mm-hmm. to talk to you and have a relationship with you. That's really what it takes. And so yeah, that support yeah. factor, you know, is absolutely essential. Whether you've got it in a, in a, a sponsor, if you've got yep. it, um, you know, with like your faith, any, any support you can get is so key because you don't know when life's going to throw you that curveball. You don't know when you're going to lose a family member or a friend or whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't know when 
you know, I talk about in my book why I relapsed. I think it was like four or five different ridiculous things happened to me in one day. Like my girlfriend cheated on me. I lost my job. I got evicted. I mean, just ridiculous all in, all in the same day. And at the time, I, I didn't have mm. anybody to reach out to. It was just like I was going to meetings mm. and um, trying to stand the straight and narrow on my own. And when life threw me that curveball, I couldn't handle it. And so, I'm, yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm grateful mm. that I got my mm. wife and kids for sure. I got three little ones now. Nice. Yeah. Love it. Man, we have, you know, heard from from several addicts that are, you know, in our in our community that are now sober and they talk about just the need for for community for people to know them to walk um with them through the whole process and just the power of having other people in your life. And I there's probably somebody who's listening uh to this podcast hearing your story who hasn't made a step towards recovery yet. Maybe you know, is in stuck in addiction right now. What do you say to that person that that does feel pretty isolated, like they don't have people, they don't have a community, but are you know moving in that direction of recovery? What do you what do you how do you encourage? There's them? hope for them, you know. When it comes down to it, people get lonely. People feel sad. We're emotional beings, and I'm telling, I'm being straight up honest with you when I say like when I'm in a part of like I don't. It doesn't have to be a missions community or anything like that, but where I'm at. You know, when that stuff happens, any one of these people I can reach out to and they want to be there. They mm-hmm. want to come talk to me. They yeah. want me to come hang out with them, have a cup of coffee. One of them's walking past right now, waving at me, knowing I'm talking to you guys. And he's just giving me mm-hmm. the thumbs up like, awesome, dude, go for it. Just to encourage me. Awesome. And people do care. Yeah. You know, there are places you can go. There are, there are communities, organizations, whatever you can reach out to. Absolutely. And you'll be accepted. There's no judgment. Everybody, I mean, the Bible says everybody falls short of the glory of God, man. Nobody's perfect. Nobody. And that's so, right, man. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, no, I would just say don't give up. There's absolute hope and there's abundant life out there waiting for you. You just got to be willing to try Come on. and go get it and you can have it. That's so good, man. That's so good. good. Nick, you mentioned about, you know, how tragic it is that you've lost so many people that you love and including two family members and, and, and lots of friends. And you also said that the statistic says that 80 to 90 percent of people experiencing addiction will relapse. I mean, you yourself have yeah. experienced that before. What does it feel like now, 10 years being sober? Is there a fear inside of you of relapse? And if there is, how do you fight that off? Let me tell you how free that I've gotten. And this is just, it's a gift. I did not earn it. I did not deserve it. It just, it's a fruit of the relationship I have with my savior. You know, I, like I said, I did not think I would ever get free of specifically Mm -hmm. marijuana because yeah when it came down to it everybody was dying and it's like i almost died twice i don't want to mess around with heroin i want to stop doing this Mm -hmm. and eventually enough time went by to where it's like i don't know anybody who's doing heroin it's not like you know i'm tempted to go talk to some homeless guy in an alley and try to get it or anything you know Mm -hmm. it's over i'm not i'm not gonna mess with it again but with marijuana i did not think i would ever be free mentally it would just be like i was a dry drunk you know kind of forcing myself Mm -hmm. to be like yeah i'm sober and it's great but really i just want to go get high that's what i thought it would be like yeah man now i live in the emerald triangle i live in mendocino california mendocino county the the, the three counties around me are responsible i think for like over 90 percent of the the world's Definitely over 75%. I'm not too keen on the numbers, but the they're really like growers everywhere. Marijuana is legal here. I, yeah. I, I, wow. I passed wow. like eight or nine. And now you're surrounded, surrounded by, by it. I live at probably the marijuana capital of like the world. I've never seen mm. a dispensary before, and I drive past three or four 
dispensaries on the way to church, you know, I pass them like eight times every Sunday and I look, I look totally. over and I, I'm not even, I, it just struck me. I think I like broke down and cried at one point and I was like, I, I don't even care about that anymore. Like, I don't want that. Mm. It's not because I'm so wrapped up in what I'm doing here at missions. It's not because I'm busy. It's not because of my wife and kids. Like, oh, I don't want to lose them. I don't want to hurt them. It's just something that's not there anymore. Like, I don't care for it. I don't think about it. I look at it and it's like, man, sometimes it hits me. Um, like, wow, I used to be so in it. You know, I used to grow it. I used to go to jail mm. for it. I used to live and die for it. But now it's, I, mm. I don't even think about it. It's not a temptation for me at all. And that's a miracle. I never thought it would get that way. That is, yep, that's a miracle, man. That's Straight amazing. Up. You mentioned missions, and I'd love for you just to kind of tell uh, people what, what work you're doing right now with helping others. Okay, so yeah, I'm, in, I'm involved with an organization called Youth with a Mission. It's an, a worldwide missions organization. Yeah. Uh, yep. That's why we Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started mm-hmm. in Kona, Hawaii back in the 60s by a man named Lauren Cunningham. I had the pleasure of meeting him and thanking him personally. He's very old now. Yeah, awesome. I think he might be on his way out, but bless him. You know, he started, he had a vision from God. He's got a book about it called Is That Really You, God? by Lauren Cunningham on how this organization started. He had a vision from the Lord of young people crashing like waves onto the shores of all seven continents and just kind of evangelizing and talking to people outside of really actually like shady areas like bars and brothels and everything Mm -hmm. on the streets and so fast forward to like today it's a worldwide organization it's in every country they've they've got locations where it's illegal to be a christian they've got organizations that specifically go and aid persecuted people groups all over the globe you know china the middle east where i'm at now at the lord's land in mendocino california our campus they call them bases our missions campus is uh, right now we just sent a team to costa rica because as azerbaijan Mm. where they normally go and and team up with like long-term groups there long-term missionary groups there with ywam they've kind of closed off they're still closed off due to like COVID or whatnot but uh, yeah yeah, they've got connections down in in costa rica so we've got a team i just drove them to the airport the other day they're down in costa rica typically we we do short-term like month-long outreaches they call them to foreign lands, um, and we just volunteer with long-term people that are there on the ground. It's interdenominational. You can be any denomination, Catholic, whatever, Baptist, doesn't matter. And we basically just go hang out with, you know, orphans, widows, help them get food, hang out, you know, yeah. whatever they need. Yeah. Um, let's see, sick people. We hang out with uh, kids who've got HIV. Funny, funny story, we were in Africa. <laughs> we're, we're at an orphanage hanging out with all these kids, and everybody's crying while we're hanging out with them, like like the people that run the place. And they're like, you don't understand. Nobody comes here and spends time with any of these kids. And we're like, well, why? And they're like, because they've all got HIV. And we're just, our mouths just mm. just dropped. We're like, well, wow. you know, we Man. understand why you didn't tell us and everything. And yeah. <laughs> we're kind of grateful you didn't because I don't know if we would have, but <laughs> right. <laughs> dude, we right. just get to do awesome stuff, man. And just be in the hands and feet of Jesus, dude, the people who are in such great need all over the globe. Mm. And we host, it's almost like a short-term Bible school before we go out mm. on a mission. So we do four teams a year. We do four schools and four outreaches per year. And it's where I live and work. So that's what I'm up to now. Man. It's beautiful, man. Nick, that's amazing. And I love stories of redemption and that's what Jesus does for us, which was is amazing. He, yeah. he redeems our, our past and our messes. And 
And I, I love even hearing you say, like, there's nothing too big for him. Like, you're not too far gone. Like, God is still coming after his people. And we see that in your life of literally you going through hell and then God chasing you and redeeming you and rescuing you. And now you get to yeah. do the work in helping other people. And so we're grateful for your story. We're grateful for your book, One by One, A Memoir of Love and Loss in the Shadows of Opioid America. And we wish you and your wife and your three kids... All of the best, and yeah, thanks for sharing yeah. your story with us today. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Nicholas. Jamie and Aaron. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ivy's. You guys take care. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. You know, Aaron, it was crazy listening to his story when we were interviewing him about the people that he's lost, the places he's been, what he's been through. And I remember a couple of years ago when I was volunteering at the county jail of how I heard stories like this. And it made me realize these are way more common than I ever imagined. Yeah, and I think especially in like Christian circles, we think, oh, this is something that's just on the fringes. This is not like something that most people struggle with. But I think it's really important for us to have eyes wide open to the fact that a lot of people in our communities, Christian and non-Christian, have very real struggles with addiction. I think it's important for those of us that may not struggle with addiction, like myself and Aaron don't, but we really listen and lean in. And I'm so grateful for Nick being willing to tell his story about loss and what it's been like to journey through that addiction and what he's doing now to help other people in those same shoes. And we want to say, if this is you, and you find yourself in a place of struggling with addiction, you're not alone, and there is help for you. And so we want to encourage you to reach out to your local community, to reach out to your local church, to tell your friends, your family, because you are not alone, and you cannot get through this by yourself. And if you're interested in hearing more of Nick's story, which I highly recommend you get this book because I've read it. It's phenomenal. Pick up his book, One by One, A Memoir of Love and Loss in the Shadows of Opioid America. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that this was an encouraging and challenging episode for you. And wherever you're at, we hope that you will love on the people that may have addiction. And if that's you, we hope that you'll get help because there's always help in Jesus. Today's show was mixed and edited by Aaron Campbell. Show notes were written by Abby Castell. Show graphics and videos were made by Rachel Ray. And the show is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Please share this show with a friend if you loved it. It's how most people find out about podcasts. Thank you for listening to On the Other Side with Jamie and Aaron Ivey. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.